tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Hello, hello, hello. Merry, happy, happy, merry, almost. <laughs> Are we allowed to say that? I don't know. <laughs> I remember there was a student at the seminary who, if he said hallelujah, he was a very Puerto Rican and, and very, very charismatic, and he would say hallelujah all the time, and the rector would fine him a quarter every time he did during Lent. But I don't, I don't want to pick at straws, so let's start the show in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall <coughs> be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you send the light of the Holy Spirit and inspire the nations. By the light of that same spirit, may we have right judgment in all things and evermore rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Well, today we have the book of Malachi, and uh, just for the fun of it, let's let's uh, explain Malachi. Malachi is actually the last book uh, in, in the way that the, the 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 text of Scripture is is um, structured. Uh, the uh, it's the last book in uh, in the in the canon of the prophets, so um, you know people vary about the the date, but most scholars think that Malachi uh, was a prophet during the uh, period when the Persians, the Iranians, <laughs> that's actually who the Persians are. We used to call it Persia, but it's Iran. Uh, they, you know, after the reconstruction dedication of the, the second temple around, oh, around 516 BC. So 500 years before Christ. So, um, uh, that's who Malachi is. He was, uh, uh, it, it really means my messenger. So it, that may be his title and, uh, not his actual name. So, you know, we, we were not, he, he's kind of, we're not quite sure of him. Uh, some people think uh, that the book of Malachi was actually written by Ezra. Remember, Malach means angel or messenger. My, and the I at the end means my. Well, I'm just digressing way more than I need to. But I think it's significant that in the, the text of Scripture, it's the last, uh, the last uh, 
book, the last prophetic book. But let's look at what the reading says here. Where did I put it there? Okay. Thus says the Lord God, lo, (laughs) here we go, another word. I'm stuck again, lo. When's the last time you said, lo, children, lo, (laughs) dinner's on the table. I always get a kick out of the, you know, you don't want to dumb down the language so much that it, it, it sounds idiotic. But on the other hand, if we're going to translate things into English, maybe we should. Lo is a word that comes to us from the 1200s AD, and it's related to the word look, really. It's like, look, I'm sending my messenger. Uh, hark means listen up. Lo or behold means look. So, look, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way before you. It sounds a little pedestrian, but that's what it means. So now you know. And uh, the messenger of the covenant, and of course that word is melach, uh, whom you desire. So, uh, let's move on down a little. Who will endure the day of his coming? You know, the, the, the Jews believed in a double, actually a triple messiah, uh, uh, a double Messiah, but they argue about the two Messiahs. The the Essenes and the Dead Sea uh, um, sectaries thought that there would be a priestly Messiah, the Messiah of Aaron, and the kingly Messiah, Messiah, son of David. <coughs> Excuse me. And the the priestly Messiah was superior to the political Davidic Messiah. The Davidic Messiah was to prepare and to... Uh, to enable the the priestly Messiah to do his priestly job. That's, of course, because the Essenes and that bunch were mostly priests. But uh, more commonly and enshrined in Talmud is the the Messiah son of Joseph and the Messiah son of David. And the the role of Joseph, the Messiah son of Joseph, is to uh, bring in the lost of Israel. You know, that, that uh, Jesus says that my job is to bring in the lost of Israel. Um, and this would prepare for the coming of the glorious son of David. We just believe they were the same fellow, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary, son of God. So, um, this idea of the double Messiah, people look forward to the Messiah with joy, with hope that, 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 um, he would straighten everything out and, you know, it'd be great. The messianic world was going to be great. Well, Malachi is saying, no, it's not. Uh, that uh, who will endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? He is like a refiner's fire or like the fuller's lye, uh, L-Y-E, that, that alkaline substance that um, is very, very, uh, 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 what's the word, corrosive. Uh, he will sit refining and purifying silver and will purify the sons of Lee by refining them like gold or silver. I have actually seen uh, the refining of gold and silver back in the olden days, uh, the 70s, when I was traveling. Uh, I saw, and then again later when I went to Israel, I, I, I saw jewelers. I, I have this memory on the, the Pont, I think it's the Ponte Vecchio in Florence of, uh, of goldsmiths. Uh, they would actually have their shops in the open and they would have gold there. I mean, it was a safer time than now, I think. But um, the uh, the um, uh, what they would do is they would break up these rocks and they would put them in these metal crucibles, these little pots, and they would have a gas fire under it and they would stoke up that fire and the rocks would melt and uh, there would be a black scum on top. 
and when that black skull and the 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 goldsmith or the silversmith I saw it done was the same thing done with silver in in Jerusalem they would go and they would look into the pot and it didn't boil what it did was it just burned all of this carbon and 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 schmutz I guess the word would be all this filth from from the 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 top of the the crucible there's no boiling but what happened is at one point the goldsmith could look into the into the crucible and, and uh, which was blazing red at the, by this time, and he could see his face. When the silversmith or his apprentice could see his face reflected as if in a mirror, then it was ready. That's the refining process that's being talked about. He will sit refining and purifying silver. This is done with fire. This is done with heat. God, you know, if if the the goldsmith looks in and just sees dirt floating on top of the silver or gold, he 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 cranks up the flame. Now, in my life, at different times, and in your life, God has cranked up the flame because He's not seeing His own reflection in our lives. Whoa! Think about this. That. It is the very troubles and sorrows that you have that are signs that you're not yet ready, that you are not the reflection of the face of God that the world needs or that the Lord desires. And the Lord does this through difficulty. You know, I I wish it were, you know, I wish it were otherwise. Have you heard me say in in the, the parable of the the vine dresser, I'm, I, I'm the vine, you are the branches. My father is the vine dresser. Every vine that does not bear fruit, he cuts off and throws into the fire. Similar thing. I, I've shared with you, God does his best work, not in what he gives, but in what he takes away. I cling to things. Uh, I cling to the filth in my life, <laughs> uh, thinking somehow it's important. And no, the Lord wants to take it away so that only what is useful to him is left. And I wish, I wish it wasn't true, but I'm sorry, that's, that's the gospel. And, and uh, well, that sounds like a grim religion. No, it's not. It's a joyful religion, because the less you have weighing you down, the more you realize that God is in charge of your life. And uh, what he does is for the good, the more joyful you can be. Uh, you know, and I think that, that as we come close to Christmas, we really pervert Christmas because it is a, a a time of acquisition. It's a time when we try to acquire things. Uh, even in our good deeds, sometimes we try to acquire things. I, I will never forget um, uh, when I was a pastor at a, a church in, in Chicago's uptown. We had a big soup kitchen, big food pantry. It was it was. A wonderful place to be a priest. You know, the the corporal works of mercy wears easy as getting out of bed in the morning. Um, but I remember a, a, a minister, a Lutheran minister called delightful fellow, uh, seemed really a, just a wonderful guy, and he he wanted to uh, have his kids volunteer in our soup kitchen on Christmas. We didn't actually do a soup kitchen. What we did was we did a meal for senior citizens, and then we had a kind of second seating for people from the street. Well, he he wanted his kids to volunteer on Christmas, and I said to him, I really am sorry, but 
there just aren't enough poor people to go around on Christmas. Everybody wants to volunteer on Christmas. Now, the Friday after Christmas, <laughs> when we've got the leftovers, <laughs> you know, leftover turkey and leftover, they love the the place is packed. Uh, it's the end of the month. The checks haven't come, and uh, and the food is great. So it's packed, and nobody wants to volunteer the Friday after Christmas. They're all going out of town or something. So we could really use help then. Long silence. Well, I was really hoping that my kids would have the experience of volunteering. So even in his piety, it was still about him. And I find in my piety, it's still about me. You follow what I mean? That that I think I'm being religious. Um, what's that old BG song, All the Love That You Were Giving Was Really Meant For You? Uh, well, frequently I find that in myself. And so God turns up the fire until there's nothing left but the gold. And that process is not nearly finished in my life. And I'm so grateful for the Catholic teaching about purgatory because, well, uh -huh. <laughs> I need it. So, all right, let's see here. Is there anything else I want to comment on? Uh, oh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll comment on that in the Word of the Day. I want to talk about the great and terrible day of the Lord uh, when, when, uh, in the word of the day. So, oh, by the way, a fuller, that means a, a launderer. Uh, that's what a fuller is. Uh, so put that money, like the voice measures, like a money launderer. Yeah. That's like low, low ball or high ball. No, no, no different word. So, um, let's see here. Oh, and I, I, there's the word host. I explained that the other day that, that, that there are three different words in Latin that are all translated in English as host. One is a sacrificial victim, a hostia. That's the communion host. One is the um, uh, a mob of people or an army. That's this host, which is uh, uh, a hostis. And then there's hospis, hospitis, uh, which from which we get the word it means guest. Uh, from which we get the word hospitality, hospital, all those other things. So. I think that's a very confusing word in English. Three different Latin words that are all translated by one word in English. Well, we can blame the French for that, as, which people always like to do, the poor French. Uh, no, no. All right, moving along. Oh, the voice in my head saying things about the French now. They're very nice people. And boy, can they cook. All right, uh, let's see here. Um, the time arrived for Elizabeth to have her child. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord shown great mercy toward her. I think this is a significant thing, and this is just a harebrained theory of mine. It's probably not true. Ignore it. I wonder if the angel didn't say to Mary, go talk to Elizabeth. Uh, she's been in your shoes. What do you mean? Yes, the only thing almost as shameful as being pregnant and not married uh, in Israel was being married and not pregnant. Uh, there was a... Uh, uh, a judgment, and of course, it's ridiculous. It's it's simply not true that that God had uh, was punishing a woman uh, by making her infertile. He judged her a bad mother, and of course, that's nonsense. Uh, but this was a superstition, and so poor Elizabeth had gone through life as a the wife of a priest of a Cohen, uh, a sacrificing priest, uh, with this shame. So God had had uh, shown His great mercy toward her. So. And I think that that is true, that that um, we look at children as a burden. God looks at them as a blessing. I think God is right. All right. Uh, there's no one. He will be called John, Yohanan, which means the Lord has given the gift of God. And they said, there's no one among your relatives by this name. So they made signs. Now, uh, Zechariah was struck mute. 
Uh, by the way, Zechariah means the name means God has remembered. Zakar means to remember. Zakar. So, um, and yeah, is the nickname for God. So God has remembered. He remembered his people. And um, they, they made signs. He was not, apparently, he was not only mute, but he was also deaf. They go together. Uh, so they were all amazed. Immediately he sp- opened his mouth and his tongue was freed. Um, and all who heard these things took them to heart, saying, What will this child be? So I think we should say that about every child. What will this child be? So... All right, we're going to go to a bit of a break. Then we'll come back with mass hysteria. And uh, um, we'll open the phones at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy This is a lovely song by Kenny Rogers, which is absolutely theologically mistaken. Mary, did you know? Yes, she did. The Lord told her ahead of time. Uh, there is a beautiful, beautiful statue in, uh, in La Crosse. Uh, it actually, it's a three-quarter bronze relief, and I'm bragging about a friend. Uh, Father Branken is an amazing sculptor. Um, uh, I, I don't know how he wakes up in the morning and thinks, hmm, I'll make a life-size three-quarter bronze relief of, but he does. Um, done some beautiful things, but to me, one of the most wonderful um, things he's ever done is in La Crosse, Wisconsin, at the top of the hill on which the Stations of the Cross are found. It is St. Joseph teaching the child Jesus carpentry, and Jesus is looking up into Joseph's eyes, and two boards cross, and the Blessed Mother is standing behind them. And this look of foreshadowing and horror comes over her face. Uh, you know, Fa- Father Branken does these uh, statues of the Blessed Mother that are not your your simpering, uh, uh, sweet-faced uh, Blessed Mothers. Uh, he did one up in Milwaukee, uh, uh, Mary Mother of the, of the Church, and the look on her face is just one of... Well, she's holding her son in one arm and the cathedral of Milwaukee in the other arm. And the look on her face is, is I don't know how else to put it. It's, what have you done? <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, uh, Archbishop Lestecki, uh commissioned it. And uh, uh, it, it's, it's really beautiful stuff. But let's get back to the Blessed Mother here. Why did I bring up the Blessed Mother? There was a, a reason... Um, I know we're in the mass hysteria segment, but, uh, uh, oh yeah, Mary, did you know? (laughs) Yes, she knew, uh, she'd been told a sword would pierce her heart. And, uh, um, you know, people talk about the Immaculate Conception. That would be great not to have, you know, I mean, Immaculate Conception meant that she did not have the, the inclination, uh, of, of, to sin that we have, uh, that, that, uh, uh, this would be great to not have the temptation. Uh, on the contrary, the Immaculate Conception uh, was an incredible responsibility. 
uh, because you still had free will. I mean, Adam and Eve buckled under the responsibility of their immaculate conception. When you think about it, Adam and Eve were conceived without the effects of original sin, albeit in the mind of God. But they said, no way. Uh, and, and our Blessed Mother was faithful to her vocation to be the Immaculate Conception. I mean, people say, well, did our Blessed Mother suffer in childbirth? I don't know. I wasn't there. But I suspect that as she stood at the foot of the cross, she suffered freely. Uh, we say in the Mass about Jesus that... Uh, um, that he didn't have to do this, uh, but freely he offered himself. And I suspect that our Blessed Mother suffered all the pains, physical and spiritual, of motherhood, even though she didn't have to. Me, decisions about pain, easy. I, I have to. I don't make a decision about it. Our Blessed Mother had to say yes constantly because she was immaculately conceived. And and I, I, I don't think I've ever heard many people talk about the Immaculate Conception that way, that it was this wonderful gift, but it was a great responsibility. Well, let's let's move on to mass hysteria. Did we, did we do, do that yet? Dogs no. and cats living together, mass hysteria. You know, mass hysteria today, I want to talk about sacrifice again. You know, that... that um, the uh, so many people get upset with the Second Vatican Council. Say, well, the Mass of the Second Vatican, the Mass as we have it, was not the Mass of the Second Vatican Council. If you look at what the Second Vatican Council, Council said of Mass, it said that uh, contemporary um, and local music may be played sparingly for pastoral reasons. Latin was in Gregorian chant were to retain pride of place, uh, all that sort of thing. Uh, Never mentioned turning the altars, none of that stuff. Uh, they did not envision, the Council Fathers did not envision this abrupt change which made the Mass foreign to a thousand years of, of Catholic practice. Well, uh, the people who redid the Mass brought a, a missal for the approval of St. Paul, Paul VI, uh, and he said, I can't publish this because it doesn't have the word sacrifice in it. The Mass, Paul VI, retained uh, the sacrificial character of the Mass when everyone else was giving it up. Now, I want to talk about that. Uh, so, you know, people say, how come God accepted Abel's sacrifice but didn't accept Cain's sacrifice? Huh? 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 The Bible doesn't say. The Bible most certainly does say. We read in Psalm 50, and I've shared this with you before, but in Psalm 50, we read, Summon to me the holy people, the consecrated people, who've made covenant with me by sacrifice. Now, the general word for sacrifice in Hebrew is korban. In fact, that's the word that is used uh, by the uh, uh, Assyrian Christians and, and Chaldean Christians uh, uh, for the Mass. It's the korban. But there is a specific word uh, used in this verse, Psalm 50, verse 5. It's zabach, which means a blood sacrifice by slaughter, by ritual slaughter. Abel sacrificed a lamb. Cain sacrificed vegetables. In order to make a covenant with God, you must sacrifice with blood. Why? Because the life is in the blood. What you're saying is, may, may it happen to me so and so, like this, if I break this covenant. And you see, God really does nothing outside of a covenant. 
Abraham wanted, or rather, uh, Cain wanted to gain God's favor. Uh, Abel wanted to make covenant with God. And what is a covenant? I give you myself that you might give me yourself. A contract is I give you that you might give me. Uh, oh, what, 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 what the tarnation, I'll use the word. Prostitution is a contract. Marriage is a covenant. That's the difference. Marriage is in, though it's, it's about intimate behavior, marriage is ennobled by the sharing of life. Uh, the other word that I use and don't want to use too much, lest little ears listen, uh, <clears throat> is not ennobled at all. Though it de also deals with intimacy. So you see the difference. Covenant, God works in covenant. And we are the covenant church. And the sacrifice of the Mass is, is, I tell you this all the time, you don't go to Mass to get something, you go to Mass to give something. You don't go to Mass to get something, you go to Mass to give something. Now you get something out of Mass if you give. But what do I mean by that? You're saying when you come up to take the Holy Eucharist, you're saying that as he has put his flesh and his blood, his body, soul, humanity, and divinity on this altar for me, I will place my flesh and blood, my uh, humanity and my soul on this altar with him for the salvation of the world and for the, 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 the consecration of his church. You see, I'm, that's what I'm doing at Mass. I'm offering myself in a blood sacrifice. Now, I'm, I'm going because i got to see my nephew get confirmed. And there'll be a party after, you know. Now, I'm going because they're going to do Mozart's Requiem, and I really like Mozart. I'm going because they're going to have a special choir, a special speaker. No. You understand what I mean? Have you made covenant with God by sacrifice? When you go to Mass this Sunday, when you go to Mass at Christmas, are you going to make covenant with God by sacrifice? Are you going to give him your life again? Or are you going to see if, if the choir is any good? Oh, I just so love those midnight Masses. I'll never forget. Uh, you know, it used to be midnight Mass um, was invented, I suspect, so that the party could continue. In other words, in the old days, you had to fast from food and drink from midnight. If Mass was at midnight, that means you didn't have to fast at all. It was the one time of the year that you didn't have to fast. And so you had to go to confession before Mass, because if you didn't go to communion, you couldn't say, ah, I didn't fast long enough. And they look at you and think, what are you, an axe murderer? Now everybody goes to communion. If you don't go to communion, people say, what, an axe murderer? <laughs> no, you know, that, that now, you know, ushers lead people to communion. That's just wrong. But I'm digressing big time here. But you understand what I mean here, that that um, I'll never forget. There was this, this parishioner of mine, devout, hardworking. And when he heard we were moving the midnight mass back to 10, because Father said all five and six of the masses that week or that, that weekend, <clears throat> he said, you're not going to have midnight mass. Said no, in the in the missal it calls it, it says mass during the night, so we'll move it up a little because I've got to get up to do an eight a.m. too, and uh, you know I can't do it. I'm too old. But you're not going to have a midnight mass. I said, did you? Go, are you going to midnight mass? He said, well, no, no, no. Did you go last year? No. <laughs> Isn't that funny? He just liked the idea of a midnight mass because when he was young, well, he'd go with his girlfriend to midnight mass, and it was so nice. You know, do you understand what I'm driving at? Gather to me the people, the holy people who have made covenant with me by a blood sacrifice. 
Do you make a blood sacrifice to the Lord, or do you go for the show? All right, that pleasant thought. Moving along, let us go to letters. Okay, I got lots of fun letters. All right, here. Okay, this is, um, oh, this is a fun one. Uh, from uh, This is from Jerry. A commentary I once heard, it was many are called if you are chosen. This fits the wedding guest who failed to lift a finger to get dressed appropriately. We've been talking about this. And it kind of fits your explanation of reaching a hand out of the quicksand. Now, let me recap that. Um, we're saved by grace through faith. And if you translate the word grace, grace is what God gives you to bring you to heaven. It's a gift. And faith is, I think, better translated trust. So you've stepped into a puddle of quicksand and you're sinking fast and you hear someone in the bushes and out steps someone who reaches out his hand to you and you lift your hand to him and he pulls his hand away and goes yoink that's that's the 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 god of predestinationists in other words oh, i just came to see you drowned you deserve it uh <laughs> that's that's not the god of our lord jesus christ let's go back to the guy come through the bushes sticks his hand out and he says, take my hand and I'll pull you out. You say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be saved by a work. You're going to save me without any effort on my part because I'm not get, you're not saved by works. Guess what? You're going to drown. <laughs> that that uh, the people say, you're not saved by works. You're saved by faith and grace, by grace alone. Just grace, 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 grace. Not saved by works. If God offers you a grace, you have to lift your hand to take it, and then he will give you greater grace. His hand to you is grace. Your hand lifted to him is trust, is faith. He's not going to yoink his hand away. So that's what he's talking about here. Well, the wedding guest did not lift a finger to dress appropriately, so he was cast out of the wedding. But I'm fearful that what I thought I heard doesn't meet the translation. No, it, it I think it does. Or does language live and change over time? Yeah, it does. But the the, I, the wedding guest who failed to 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 do the very least to prepare for the wedding, I think that you're right. It does fit with uh, the idea of of grace and faith. Let me see. I can get one more here. Let's see here. Let's see here. This is from Cody. Is it appropriate for a priest to tell a joke during the homily? I sure hope so. One can overdo it, though, but I must admit that um, every once in a while, something would remind me of some. I never planned to tell a joke from the pulpit, but sometimes uh, there were things just too funny. Jesus, I thoroughly believe, told jokes from the pulpit. I really believe that many, if not all of the parables, are humorous. Remember the, the, the poor man in Lazarus, um, Lazarus, or the rich man in Lazarus? I think that sermon would have had them rolling in the aisles because Jesus was talking about the high priest who had five sons and a son-in-law, and he dressed in fine purple and expensive linen. That was his outfit. So he was dissing the high priest, and the people would have thought that was a stitch. Or the beam who can take, who would offer to take a speck out of your eye with a beam in his own? Can you picture some guy with a board sticking out of his eye saying, here, let me help you with that? I'll never forget one of my confirmation students. When I read that, that parable, he started laughing, and I looked at him like, what? This is a kid named Angel. I said, what? And he said, that's funny. And he was right. 
So there's all sorts of funny stories. The unjust steward who wrote down his master's debtors. Oh, that's people worry about that. Is God trying to encourage us to do something dishonest? It's a funny story. You owe my master a zillion barrels of oil. Take your bill and write half a zillion down. All of Galilee couldn't produce that much grain and oil. It was huge quantities. Uh, so <clears throat> Jesus seems to have told jokes in the sermon. Now, he's Jesus, and I am not. But still, in imitation of Christ, I have told a joke or two from the pulpit. So, Cody, yes. Um, and remember... My motto as a, a priest who had to raise, constantly you're raising funds to fix the collapsing roof. I laughed, I cried, I wrote a check. All right, let's uh, move on to, uh, we're, we're going to move on to uh, the word of the day. And we'll take your phone calls at 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look in the five and ten Well, <laughs> It's kind of beige where I am right here, but, you know, I, I was chatting with the voice in my head in the break, and, uh, you know, he brought up the idea of, you know, Santa Claus, he sees you when you're sleeping, he sees you, sees you when you're waking, and we often have that idea about God the Father, that, that uh, he, he, you know, he's always watching us, and I remember hearing some preachers say, yeah, he's always watching you, he can't, he can't take his eyes off you, he loves you so much which makes it a little different than he's going to get you. So, all right, let's go to the word of the day. The word of the day we find in uh, the the first reading, Malachi. Uh, uh, lo, I will, lo, there's another lo. Behold, or look, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the day of the Lord comes the great and terrible day. Well, I was curious. What? It's, it's a terrible day. When you say, I've had a terrible day, that's that's not when you're, you're expecting the Messiah. So I decided to look up the word terrible, and it's yarah. It comes from the word to fear, the fearful day of the Lord. And it really was fearful. I mean, uh, that, that um, the people refused, uh, or many of the people, the leaders of the people, refused to accept uh, God's visitation in the person of Jesus. And... The temple was destroyed, the nation was destroyed, and Jesus said, if only you'd known the day of your visitation, and that I come to you in peace, but would have none of it. So I think that's an important idea, that that, uh, uh, that under certain circumstances, the day of the Lord is a fearful thing. And I think one of the the, the reasons to think about that is, is uh, he says, uh, I will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, uh, lest I come with a curse. I think that if you notice that 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 the coming of the Lord can be a curse. I mean, it's in it's in it's right in the text. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and fearful day to turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a curse, with doom. 
there's got to be reconciliation. If, if there is not a reconciliation, if your religion does not lead you to, to live at greater peace with other human beings, I'm not saying to, you know, you know, wave the white flag in areas of truth, but, you know, you can share the truth with people with a smile. Uh, smile goes a long way. But what we do is we get angry. And religion is a curse if it does not produce the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, peace, patience, joy, long-suffering. You know, all these, these qualities uh, that are the very personality of Jesus. Unless the personality of Jesus has worked in you, your religion is an external observance. That's what I believe. So if you need to be reconciled to someone, and there are people I need to be reconciled with. Uh, uh, in, in, if there are people you need to be reconciled with uh, over this Christmas, work at it. Uh, that's what, you know, the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, the true meaning of Christmas is unless there is uh, reconciliation with one another. It's a fearful day. All right. That cheerful thought. Let's move on to phones. The oh, phone is ringing. The phone, the phone, and the phone number is 888-914-9149. Uh, speaking of the French, I have, I have French friends who are very tolerant of my inability to speak the language very well, but uh, um, uh, they don't like Inspector Clouseau very much, but I do. All right, who have we got on the line, dear voice in my head? Don from Palos Heights, Illinois. Are you with us, Don? Yes, Father. How are you doing? Pretty, and pretty Merry good. Christmas. You know, you know, Merry Christmas. You know what the word Palos means in Spanish? Uh, yes, it means sticks. the sticks. The sticks. I and the when sticks. I was a boy, <laughs> Palos was out in the sticks. I grew up just north there in, in, in the Grange, which means the barn. I was raised in the barn, and you were raised in the sticks. All right, what can I do for you? Uh, Father, when uh, John the Baptist speaks of himself uh, as the best man, yes, Christ as the bridegroom, yes, uh, who then is the bridegroom? Uh, bride. The church. Or is that just an... I'm sorry, go ahead, please. Yeah, it's the church. Israel was the bride of the Lord, and the church is the bride of the Lord. Uh, that I played that song, uh, every Friday night in synagogue, uh, they sing the song, which means, uh, come, my dear friend, let us greet the Sabbath as a bride. And everybody turns to the door in the, in the, in the, in the, in the synagogue on... on uh, on Friday night, you see, the Sabbath is a bride, Israel is a bride, the church is a bride. That's how God sees her. We see her as an institution with crabby old guys like me, but God looks at her and sees the bride of His Son Jesus. So that's 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 um, you know that we see that in the in the uh, in the Old Testament a lot that uh, God will marry Israel, and uh, of course that applies to the church. Does that answer your question? Oh, it sure does, Father, and I certainly appreciate it. Well, thank you, and have a good Christmas out there in the sticks. All right. God yeah, bless. Yeah, one, <laughs> God oh. bless you, Father. Thank you. God bless. Who we got now, dear voice in my head? Mary from Maui. Oh, Maui. Oh, Christmas under the palm trees. But what can I do for you, Mary? I'm not jealous. Go on. <laughs> 
<laughs> good morning, Father. It's morning here. So Oh, good I, morning. I <laughs> Early to, morning, no I less. To say yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to say thank you for all you do for us and the many years that I have been a uh, listener to your program. It has taught me a lot. I have a question oh, for you. you. Yes. That prayer that uh, we say after the rosary, oh, my Jesus, forgive us our sins. Mm-hmm. It's called the Fatima prayer. Is that really it's comes Fatima from prayer, Fatima? Yes. Okay. I believe. I okay. believe because it does, it, yes. Yeah, that's what I have believed. But somebody planted a seed that was like, no, that was like invented by somebody else. So I wanted to double check because the people at the rosary well, were like not totally... Well, I'm looking this up, the Fatima prayer. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm looking it up. I, I've always believed it came from Fatima. Um, uh, when Our Lady of Fatima appeared to Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta for the third time, July 13, 1917, she did two things of great importance. First, showed them a terrifying vision of hell. And second, she gave them what has come to be known as the Fatima prayer. Uh, oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us in the fires of hell. No, it it's it 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 was given to the children on July thirteenth, nineteen seventeen. That's that's pretty sure. That's bishop a bishop <laughs> saying that, Bishop Olmsted. So there you go. Yeah, it's Fatima. Does that help? Okay. Yeah, it does help. Well, have a good, merry Christmas, good. and I miss you, you too. a lot. Yeah. Oh, so maybe well, one thank day you. I'll get to see you. And also, thank you oh, for I'm the many sure. years that you did the Patristic Palooza, too. Which was oh, wasn't that fun? Our Patristics Conference, yeah. that was so mm-hmm. much fun. You came to those? Oh, well, hopefully we'll yeah. we'll get to see you again. God bless. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful okay. Christmas. Take care. Bye. Goodbye. Who we Oh, Maui. Wow. Who have we got on the line now, dear voice in my head? David from the Twin Cities. What can I do for you, David? Hey, good afternoon, Father. Had a good question afternoon. regarding. Hey, had a question regarding um, a comment that you just made about five minutes ago on yes. the mass and how it's not a cause yes. of or caused by Vatican II. So mm-hmm. wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, and like the, none of the documents like mention yeah. kind of contemporary contemporary form that we kind of celebrate today. Yeah. So if you yeah. just use like a couple examples where. You know, Greg, Gregorian chant should be, you know, very still, you know, still very much yep. a part of the mass. Place. Vernacular yeah. should be used um, sparingly. Just those a well, couple appropriately, examples where those yes. are actually or appropriately, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's like what the documents are saying. Um, how it's kind of two questions, but the second one is probably sure. more importantly. The first question is like. How is it, do you think, that we kind of got to this point where the vernacular was almost 100% uh, and that kind of stuff? But the other bigger question was, why, you know, how do you think we could go back to the actual documents themselves? Or, I mean, like, you know, start celebrating the way that the documents taught us to celebrate it. Those are my two questions. Well, um, actually, very simple. Uh, the I, I wrote a, a it's you can find it on PDF uh, book I wrote a book a, a series of articles which kind of got squeezed into a sort of book called a brief history of the Hootenanny Mass and other absurdities when I was young we talked about the Hootenanny Mass and that was pioneered uh, I think in particular by Archbishop Rembert Weekland uh, uh, the voice mind you're going to post it where 
We'll post it on the podcast, the uh, brief history of the Hootenanny Mass and other absurdities. You know, that, that in order to make Mass more palatable for young people, uh, a number of people, and, and uh, were among them, I think, I think one of the, the leaders of this was Archbishop Weakland, um, uh, they pioneered um, this, this, this idea of a Hootenanny Mass. And uh, people just ran with it. Uh, that that um, liturgists read what they wanted to read, and people just, even bishops, I'll never forget, one of my favorite bishops, and I'm not going to mention him, he is long since dead, a, a saint, a very good pastor to me. When he was asked a theological question, uh, he said, well, I'm not much of a theologian. I mean, this is a bishop of the church. And when I was a lad, bishops were chosen because they were guys who could get things done. And a lot of them were great saints, but they were, you know, that um, in the 50s and 60s, it was a guy who would get things done. And um, when the experts told them, well, this is what we got to do, they said, oh, the experts have told us this, forgetting that they are the experts. Um, and so this has been going on for now 40, 50 years. And people assume that this is what the council wanted. And how do we change it? I think one of the things we do to change it is by uh, studying what the council has said. You know, that the, the liturgical movement and the council were not exactly the same thing. The council fathers realized that the liturgy needed to be made a little more flexible and a little updated. And then the liturgical movement ran with it. And the liturgical movement is, the council, I believe, wholeheartedly is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I think uh, we owe... Uh, uh, um, uh, respect and obedience to, to what the council has said. But the liturgical movement, I don't think that that's particularly inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's nowhere that says that a liturgist is divinely inspired or infallible. And uh, I think we need to re-examine it. And I think that anybody who's really looking at this needs to look at, at parishes that are successful. For me, when a parish is vibrant with young people and families, that's success, where the faith is being handed on to another generation. And people who have a great regard for the liturgy and do it beautifully and respectfully, uh, those parishes really flourish. Uh, instead of just trying to enforce the mistakes of the past 50 years, I think we have to look at the successes of the past 50 years and see where those are. Um, I am absolutely opposed to a kind of narrow intransigence, um, but I am I am all for the the Gamaliel solution to our problems. Uh, let's see if this works. Uh, if it's from God, nobody's going to take it away. If it's not from God, it will die of its own accord. That's the Gamaliel solution. Uh, so the intransigence uh, of people on one side or the other is is not helpful. I think to uh, the situation of the church today. But I think that by publicizing and making known what the Vatican Council actually said about the liturgy, I think, is probably the way to go. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does, Father. Thank you so much. Well, God bless, and thanks for listening, thanks. and thanks for thanks. calling in, and have a very Merry Christmas. God bless you. Okay, who we got now, dear voice, in my head? Larry from Roswell, Minnesota, not the other Roswell. <laughs> Larry, what can I do for you? I, I just have a question regarding the church's teaching on ghosts. There's really no, not, not much in Scripture about it. No, no, there isn't. It is mentioned in Scripture uh, in in the, uh, oh, I want to say the second book of, 
No, it'd be First Kings uh, that uh, Saul summons up the ghost of uh, the prophet Samuel uh, through the witch of Endor. Um, however, there I know that there was a prayer in the old uh, collection of prayers uh, dealing with exorcism against ghosts. So the church doesn't push it, uh, but I think the church in its liturgical practice uh, acknowledge that such things do happen. What they are, who knows? And I would just caution anybody, do not ghost hunt. If uh, these strange things happen to you, well, and you're not looking for it, well, that's one thing. And the prayer to St. Michael and the rosary are very good. And if there's something going bump in the night at your house, have a mass offered for any anyone who may need it. Uh, but do not, do not try to converse with or summon ghosts or spirits. You may be getting a ghost. You may be getting a demon. It is very dangerous, and it, it, is, it is called... Uh, necromancy and it's strictly forbidden in the scriptures and in the in the teaching of the church so you don't do ghost hunting but uh if 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 things are going bumping in the night there are things we can do so that's that's about it for ghost wise but the only ghost about to show up on the drew mariani show is the holy ghost which we now call the holy spirit but i still call him the holy ghost now and then i don't know Take your pick. But don't go anywhere. Drew is coming up and have a very Merry Christmas. Talk to you soon.